A quick content warning before this episode of Required Reading. Uh, this episode deals with political issues centering around race, sexuality, and gender, as well as the First Amendment. We will be discussing them and will very often likely be spouting our own opinions and not being entirely objective. We just wanted to let you know that listener discretion is advised. Hi. Hi. So, um, what's this book about? You didn't read this one either? Well, I was gonna, but I uh, accidentally read something else. What? Vogue. I hated the book. All right? I have no idea what it's about, and the writer was clearly on drugs when he wrote it. I mean, it just, it went on and on and on like it was written in a total hurry. If I handed in something like this, there's no way I'd get a good grade on it. I mean, it's boring and it's unorganized. And I only read 30 pages of it anyway. Well, that was passionate, albeit entirely misinformed. Who dares follow Miss Kelly's lucid analysis? It's required reading. With Tom and Stella. Episode 80. Banned and Challenged Books Tangent Special. Neighbors, no one loves you like he loves you. And no one cares like he cares. Neighbors, let us join today in the holy love of God and money. Because neighbors, no one loves you like he loves you. And what better way to show your love than to dig deep into your pockets. Dig real deep and give until it hurts. Alleviate your guilt. Free yourself once again because he gave to you, brothers and sisters. Please give a 10, 25, or $50 tax-deductible donation. And I assure you, your modest pledge will be used to censor TV and radio, ban questionable books, and contribute to many other godly services. No longer will young Hello and welcome to Required Reading with Tom and Stella, a podcast brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. This podcast is all about books and literature, and every episode we take a look at one work of literature that we have both read and determine whether or not it's required reading, except for every 10th episode, and this happens to be one of those. This is one of our tangent specials where we take a look at a special topic that we have decided to cover. This could be looking at a specific genre of books. This could be looking at maybe the author of a specific author's work. Or in this case, it is an issue that has to deal with books and literature and reading, especially when it comes to the realm of education, which Stella and I both are involved in. So, Without further ado, we are going to talk about banned and challenged books, which is a very, very topical recent topic. And I am Tom Paneris, of course, one of your hosts. And with me is Stella. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing okay. I mean, this is like a light and fluffy topic <laughs> to discuss during summer. I think, you know, it's going to really bring a lot of joy to many people that are down out there. You yeah, know, nobody yeah. gets red in the face about this one. Absolutely not. <laughs> As of recording this, we are we are both done for the school year. So, yes, that's something to celebrate. 
It is. Yes. Of course, I just jump into other things I need to do. But yes, it is nice to be done with work, I mm-hmm. suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And you're taking a um, you're taking a course uh, this particular summer about young adult literature. A couple of the books on your reading list are kind of overlap with what we're talking about. Today, Absolutely. Not, which yeah. Is, which is also also interesting to me. So. Um, yeah. yeah, so I think we're going to have a pretty interesting discussion here. It's been in the news a lot lately. In fact, if you saw our planning document, there are like, oh, one, two, three, four, five, like six or seven or eight links to different articles and websites that we put in that are fairly recent within the last, you know, year or so that talk about challenges, laws that are passed statistics analysis of those statistics and stuff so there's there's actually a lot to cover and uh, i'm just gonna right off the bat we're not gonna be able to touch upon all of it right (laughs) i mean it's a pretty big topic right and i think we're just gonna try to do our best to define what a band and challenge book is um we are going to just kind of have our usual discussion where we have our questions about things and and where where we come from to approach this topic um, and what we think of it and, and things that we find interesting or alarming, et cetera. Um, I guess to start out, we usually do about things about history, et cetera. I guess like when, as an issue here, when do you think you became aware that this is something that I guess still happened in our modern day and age, because like, you know, we think of banned and or challenged books and, uh, you know, you, you go back to, of course, like Nazi Germany, but also in America, you go back to, oh, the fifties or early sixties or something with books like the catcher and the rye. And then you sit there and wonder like in this day and age, why are we still trying to get books banned. So I don't know, what do you, what do you remember about like when you first became aware of this as a, as a contemporary issue, as opposed to something that just kind of happened in the past with the book that you were reading? Yeah, because I I think I was aware of if a book had been challenged or banned at some point as I was reading it. But I think realizing that it is still a contemporary issue and will probably continue to be, a contemporary issue is when I read more YA literature. Mm. So that was in particular, I mean, I guess, you know, starting kind of 2010 or 2012. So when I'm working at the private school that I was at, because I would often read the books that my students were reading just to see, you know, what are they reading? And it's also an easy way to develop a good relationship because you're able to have conversations about books if that's something that interests them. Mm -hmm. So I think because it seems like YA does get hit pretty hard with, you know, these challenges. So I think that's when I realized like, wow, people are really going after this stuff. And what I'm reading is either not a big deal. I mean, we'll talk about some some books that might be a little like we, we do need to be cautious about them. But then others that um, I think are important to have, you know, like The Hate You Give. Mm-hmm. I think that's an important text and just questions of like, why are you trying to prevent 
people from reading this. So, yeah, that was that was a big thing is just getting into YA a bit more. So it would it would have been unfortunate had I not gone to that genre because I think I would have still been oblivious until now where it's very much in your face that these things are happening. Yeah, and looking at the statistics of the ages, etc., of the readers that we're talking about, young adult literature, by and large, is the most challenged uh, subsection of, of books. So you don't get a lot of challenges to adult fiction, right? Every once in a while, a, a piece of adult fiction or adult literature will come up in, in a banner challenged uh, and a challenge or something to a local library or even a school library, um, or it gets in the news as causing some sort of controversy. Uh, in my memory, and there might have been something after this, in my memory, as far as people getting outraged as, as its content and wanting to ban the books, I would say the um, Fifty Shades of Grey books were the more were some of the more recent adult books to to be kind of in the hot seat. And there have been ones in the past that have caused controversy, if not in this country, then in others. I, I specifically remember uh, Salman Rushdie's The Satanic Verses. Oh my gosh, uh, my mother just said, I have a book that you might like to read because yeah. I told her about this episode and she has like a first edition or something. I'm yeah. like, you know, I've never heard of that. And she yeah. said, well, and so, wow, okay, so it's all uh, come back around. Yeah, it wasn't, no, it wasn't banned or challenged in the United States. It was right. the most famous controversy with it is that the Ayatollah Khomeini issued a fatwa against Rushdie in, the, in 1989, 1990 because of the way that very, very fundamentalist government of Iran found that book to be offensive. But really the YA books, and we'll look at the, the top 10 or top 13 list according to the ALA from 2022, they tend to be the ones that are censored. And, and a lot of it has to, as we get into talking about like how people are approaching these bands and who is behind them, etc. cetera, um, there is very much, it is very much couched in uh, the, this buzzwordy issue of quote, parents' rights, right? The idea that, and, and, and the whole, won't somebody think of the children cry, you know, the, the idea that, that somehow this particular work of literature is going to corrupt our children, indoctrinate them into things I don't want them to believe, or as we've heard in recent uh, months in the, uh, or so, groom them for some sort of, quote, deviant lifestyle. So I think the YA thing, and I'm kind of with you. It's like, and I think it's you know the rise of YA over the last couple of decades has has certainly. Um, I don't think it's it's the cause of it. It's just been you know we're, we're seeing much more. We we've talked about young adult literature already. We've seen more sophisticated young adult literature in the last twenty years than we had had for decades. You know, and yeah. there are some now. There's there's a lot of popcorn and there's a lot of you know silliness and, and you know and 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 the stuff that's kind of disposable but then there are works of young adult literature that even as a middle-aged adult when i read it because you know sometimes i do read what my kids are reading i'm like this is really thought-provoking and it's very honest in some cases it's very raw and it addresses a particular issue like the hate you give you brought up is is an important example of that and this makes these people uncomfortable and so they would want to get rid of it 
so before we, we move forward, uh, just a couple of things of, of note as far as definitions are concerned. Now, we talk about banned and challenged books, and uh, the American Library Association essentially defines this for us. Uh, you have a challenge is when a parent, community member, or somebody comes before a governing body of sorts, uh, whether it be the board of a library, the school board, superintendent, whatever, and they have a book that they do not want in a classroom, they do not want in a school library, a school, they want it removed. And they have, they very often, school districts, for instance, have a formal process, or they should have a formal process. They don't always follow it. There are, there are news stories in which a superintendent has just simply removed her book without following this due process. But there's a process, they file a complaint, they list the reasons why, and it should go before some sort of review. And that's called a challenge. Now, a ban is what you think it is, is that the challenge is successful and that book is removed. Sometimes the removal is a leveling up from one grade level to another. So you may remove you may remove the hate you give from a middle school library, but keep it in a high school library and move it up from a middle school reading list to a high school reading list. In some cases, it's moving the book behind the counter, so to speak. So instead of it just being on the shelf for you to take off, you actually have to request it and get some sort of – sometimes it involves a permission form to check out uh, Gender Queer or All Boys Aren't Blue or another book that's that's been challenged a lot. And then sometimes it's just an outright ban, like the book's gone. And so these are the books we're talking about. Now, there are, there are classroom-level issues as well, but I – don't think we really need – we can get into that a little bit. Um, I don't know if you – since you, you've been teaching Latin, have you ever had a parent object to some of the content that you're teaching in your class? The only time that that came back to me was in sending out a permission form because I was going to show Troy at the end of the – year and AP mm. but that's a film so I don't know if you want like the full story but basically it was that I I th- it was just in the semantics that I had on the form the permission form because I said it was rated R I said why it was rated R and that I would be like removing you know some scenes of sexuality and then I got a response I guess it was email that why would I not be removing all scenes of sexuality? And so it's like, ever, you know, your mileage may vary, but like kissing is also a form of sexuality. Oh. Technically, I guess you could say that sensuality, but that was like the most. So then I had to like write all the parents and said, yes, yes. You know, any scene of sex I'm going to be taking, I'm not, you know, I'm going to be skipping through on the movie. But so just to give you an idea of that's where I was, but otherwise, no. Wow, pedantic. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm <laughs> interesting. I don't think I've seen that whole movie. I I've, I have shown the Hector Achilles oh, fight. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, and I think I've shown part of the Trojan horse scene. But um, yeah, I've actually had it happen a couple of times. Um, trying to think off the top of my head um i think two times i can remember specifically um years ago and this is like a decade at least a decade ago i had a student um 
we had two works of literature that were summer reading. This is how long ago this was because I, I, um, I'm not, we don't do summer reading where I teach now, but this is when we had it for my 10th grade course. And at the time, there were two books that were there for summer reading. One was uh, Albert Camus' The Stranger, and the other was uh, Jan Martel's Life of Pi. And a student's parent re- um, objected to The Stranger. And so that was easy because I just reached out to the parent and I said, you know, we're reading both um, the, the assignment that you have to do I want you to use one of the books for so your daughter can just, if you have no objection to Life of Pi, just don't worry about The Stranger and just use Life of Pi. And the parent was fine with that. A couple of years ago now, I I teach Beloved by Toni Morrison for AP Lit. And a student, a student, not a parent, came up to me and said, um, you know, they were really uncomfortable with, uh, with the book. And because the book is graphic in, in a number of places. Um, and, uh, they were very uncomfortable with that. And I said, okay. So I suggested a, uh, alternate text, which I gave them cry the beloved country. And I essentially removed them from class when we were discussing beloved, you know, um, the student, they would stick around for, Oh, anything that had nothing to do with the literature. So if we were doing like a multiple choice practice or something, for AP. Uh, and then once we started a discussion of beloved, we went right to, uh, they went to the library and then the two of us would meet up during the extra help period. And we had kind of one-on-one discussions about the book. And then I gave them the same assignment that the other kids had, uh, cause they had to write a paper. So it, it worked out very, very well, but I, I have not had the opportunity. I not had the pleasure of a parent going over my head to the principal, the superintendent of the school board about something in the class. So that's, that, that hasn't happened to me. Um, but, uh, I'm looking at the, uh, and I'm going to put, I'm going to post links to a number of the pieces that we used for reference here. So that, um, in the show notes so that in case you're curious about these things, you can look them up yourselves just to go through some of the numbers and some of the statistics of how this has become a major issue in the last year or two to shed some light on it because the ALA has been celebrating banned books week, banned and challenged books week for, for a couple of decades now. And the number of challenges and, and bans prior to about 2021 was relatively speaking, pretty low. I think it was in the hundreds over the course of, of the school year. It was, it was never a major issue. It would come up every once in a while, like you'd see a news story on something. But for the most part, you know, you're you're not seeing like this widespread coverage of it. Well, in 2022, which is the most recent year we have for ban and challenge book statistics, 2023 statistics will be out next year. The ALA tracked the highest number of attempted book bans since they began compiling data about censorship in libraries more than 20 years ago. 2,571 unique titles were challenged last year, up from 1,858 in 2021. Uh, 30% of those challenges were initiated by parents. 28% were by, according to them, patrons. I guess these would be people who were community members or, uh, or in libraries or something, but they weren't like parents in the school district. 
17% by political and religious groups, 15% by the border administration, and then librarians, teachers, elected officials, and other would all were all under 10%. 48% of these challenges took place in public libraries, with school libraries being 41%, and schools, meaning classrooms, being 10%. Uh, higher education accounted only for about 1% of, of these challenges. 82% of the challenges had to do with books, graphic novels, and textbooks. 6% had to do with ex- displays and exhibits. 4% programs and meeting rooms. 1% films and 7% other. And since 2022, like I said, it's gone up to 2571. In 2020, there were 223 challenges. So it's gone up like 10 times in two years. What's the issue? Like, where is this coming from? Um, this has a lot of this has to do with politics. And we're going to get into the reason reasons. But I did want to, before we get into this, uh, talk about the most banned and challenged books of 2022. And I'm just going to list the top 13. Number one is the graphic novel Gender Queer, a memoir by Maya Kobabi. Kobabi. Number two, this was a challenge for LGBTQIA plus content claimed to be sexually explicit. Number two, All Boys Aren't Blue by George M. Johnson. Same reasons, LGBTQIA content or sexually explicit. Number three, a book that we have covered on the show. The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. Challenge for depiction of sexual abuse. EDI, which I think is equity and diversity and inclusion um, content and claim to be sexually explicit. Number four, Flamer by Mike Quarto. Uh, LGBTQIA content claim to be sexually explicit. Number five, there's a tie for fifth place. Looking for Alaska by John Green. And The Perks of Being a Wallflower by Stephen Chbosky. Both were challenged for depictions of LGBTQIA content as well as claiming to be sexually explicit. The Perks of Being a Wallflower also has depiction of sexual abuse, con- drug use, and uh, profanity. Number seven, Lawn Boy by Jonathan Evison. LGBTQIA content and claim to be sexually explicit. Number eight, The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian by Sherman Alexie, which a number of years ago was the number one most challenged and banned book in the country. Uh, profanity and claiming to be sexually explicit. Number nine, Out of Darkness by Ashley Hope Perez. Depictions of abuse and claim to be sexually explicit. Number 10, where there was a tie between A Court of Mist and Fury and by uh, Sarah J. Moss and Crank by Ellen Hopkins. Court of Mr. Fury is claimed to be sexually explicit, as well as Crank, and Crank also features drug use. There's also another thing that was tied for number 10, which was Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl by Jesse Andrews for profanity, and it claims to be sexually explicit. And the last one, which is also tied for number 10, is This Book is Gay by <laughs> Juno Dawson. And the cover is wonderful because it's just basically the LGBTQI, it's the pride flag. Yeah. It's like there. Yes, this book is gay. Uh, Challenge for LGBTQIA plus content providing sexual education and claims to be sexually explicit. I'm seeing a pattern here, Stella. Can you guess what it is? 
You know, it's like in the White Lotus season two when uh, we're told that the gays are trying to kill her. <laughs> uh, so clearly everyone thinks the gays are trying to convert everybody to their quote unquote gay lifestyle, whatever that means. And uh, the people are scared. They, they are frightened. Yes, and actually, you you have you, you touch on a very good point because I was reading one of the articles that we were um, using for our research, and I have a few quotes from people who have challenged books. Somebody in North Carolina, challenged, sorry, challenged a book called "Call Me Max" and said the theme of this purpose of this book is to confuse children and to get them to question whether they are a boy or a girl. In Texas, a parent challenged King and the Dragonfly, saying it will give ideas to children on how to discover they are gay and how to persuade others they might be gay as well. Uh, in Georgia, the poet X was challenged because it has a same-sex couple in it, and the person said books like this is where teen, teens get the idea that it's okay. And then one person in that particular article named Cindy Martin of Forsyth County, Georgia, was um, challenging the book, the graphic novel Check, Please, which uh, volume one, which is about, um, which is a gay young adult graphic novel about hockey. Um, she wanted to remove all copies and ban it. She predicted letting children read those books will lead to pregnancy, abortion, sexual harassment, rape, and STDs. She was quoted as saying, it has no place in the school system. It really has no place in society. I am a believer in Jesus Christ, and I feel he has put this passion in me to protect children. So you're right. There's this sense that people are coming to school boards and wanting these books taken away because they think it is... Um, it really is just an extension of an age old sort of argument that we have heard for decades since the 1950s and Frederick Wortham's seduction of the innocent, right? That these works of literature are somehow going to corrupt. And I'm going to put corrupt in quotes because I don't think that there's anything corrupted about being queer, but from these people's perspective, you know what I mean? I'm not, you know, so, um, so, you know, that they're going to corrupt children. So if it wasn't comic books in the fifties, it was rock and roll. It was heavy metal music. Yeah. In the eighties, it was mortal combat in the nineties. <gasps> yeah. Violence in video games. And then, and then, um, yeah. And then this, and, and sex on television and in movies came up, of course, and here it is now, but in this case, it's mostly queer-related uh, content. Um, so, oh, uh, why... You're speechless. Yeah, cool, because I'm trying to formulate a question here. It's like, why do you think you're doing this, and why now? Ah. <laughs> uh. Okay. Um, let me, I guess let's begin with the why now because mm -hmm. I have thought about that. I think it's twofold. I think that this current generation of young people have way more freedom than previous generations to explore who they are identity wise and fully understand what the spectrum of gender and sexuality is. And they're not so bogged down by um, sort of old-fashioned societal norms and values. Mm -hmm. And so I think we are seeing more people come out 
as queer and more people identify as something other than male or female. And so we have this like new population that is just more free. And this is frightening for many people. So fear is like a huge fear and hate are like the, the huge things. So I think that's one. The other thing is that we have a rise of politicians that are very vocal about being, they're not tiptoeing around about being anti queer. Um, and also racist, uh, because yes. even though the, the list currently tends to be more, uh, legit de bequois, um, it, it, there's still, like, we know that there have been years where it's also been, um, really POC heavy. So I think because we've got these politicians that are leading this charge and also saying it is okay for you to be against this and gives reasons why, then people feel impassioned and on fire to say like, yeah, that is right. Um, and then they, they go after it. Uh, the other question is why, why? Um, well, yes, it's definitely Fear, I think fear of something that is other, um, and I hesitate to use that term because I know that it's kind of transitioned into something that's more of a, like a disrespectful term, but just like not these people's ideals. And this is like the boomer generation and the, the adults. So as those people like, you know, the 80s and, and 70s, as they're getting older, they were the ones that didn't have this freedom. And so they're very set in what they expect. I think they see gender as a binary. They don't think, I mean, you know, they tend to think that homosexuality is not good. So those are the people that are, are very frightened. And there are also, I can empathize with the, I'm scared for my child. Like I want to protect them. You know, I personally don't want children, but I would, you know, if I did have them, I would be cautious about, you know, films that I would show, um, or books or things, but I wouldn't be like, you can't read these, you know, ever, I would say either I would read it with them so we can have like healthy discussions as we're going along or wait until there's like a developmental time that we can really like work through everything. Um, I don't know that. I think the fact that people are just trying to get rid of them is not going to lessen the issue. Um, or it's not that's not even the right phrase. The fact that they're trying to get rid of them is not going to erase that population of people and always have their child in a bubble. I mean, unless they want their children to live as a hermit, they're going to encounter these people. So you are, I think, pushing your kids to go against what you're telling them, because that's just how children and young adults act. And I think you're also stymieing their growth. And, I'll, you know, if I send potentially, you know, a child to a private independent school that may be Christian leaning, they're going to have a particular education. But if they want to go into the public sector university, like there's going to be this 
new population of people that they've never encountered before. Uh, if they're out on the street, if they're going to Panera, like they're going to see people. You can't pretend that these people don't exist, which is really fr- I, d- I just don't know what their what their uh, their mindset is. And as for those quotes that you said, um, they're born. They're born in that. Well, like they're born with the sexual leaning that they have. It might take a little while to discover it, but that is just the way that it is. Uh, so no one's going to that book is not going to convert someone. Someone else cannot convert someone. I know that people joke about turning someone gay, etc. But um, that really doesn't happen. There was something there already um, being. Uh, being um, repressed is unhealthy, I will say. Um, and, you know, sometimes it takes something to like snap somebody out of it uh, and realize like, oh, this is, you know, who I actually am. Um, and you can kind of journey to a healthier spot. Uh, whether you decide to pursue that attraction is up to you. You know, I know people who uh, are same sex attracted and have decided to uh, retain a celibate lifestyle. Like that is mm. their decision. But, uh, but denying that that's you is really harmful. Uh, we know that suicide is huge among the queer population. Um, and there are, you know, unfortunately, parents do lead to that statistic because they don't accept who the child is if a child is coming out as non-binary or trans kicking them out of the house like homelessness is also an issue Mm -hmm. um but giving people because we always say representation matters giving people young adults again children like we can have i think a healthy discussion about children like sure maybe i don't want a child to be reading um gender queer or um fun home like okay because i don't think i want you know someone below 12 maybe looking at a sex scene mm-hmm. but then afterwards we can have that discussion um but like young adults and things seeing that representation and being like wait that's that's how i feel like having someone share that story i think unlocks something in them that was there and then also helps them process it so there's like a lot there's a lot of positivity yes i think there are some books and issues and things that you can't just give a child without being with them. But to whole just a wholesale say you can't read them is just really problematic. Yeah. And what you were getting at with like age appropriateness, I think yes. is something yeah. that I think it's something that that kind of all sides of this issue can agree on that that you would not and I, this is so. This is I think this is what important to delineate because the way that you see it presented, usually in social media, from the people who are behind these bands, is that they don't explicitly say that the grooming come as they see it is coming mm-hmm. through. I don't know, giving gender queer to an eight year old. Yeah, they're implying that though, because they group every school age child into the umbrella of children and when you break it down there already are things in place to make sure that content within schools is appropriate to the age of the student Mm -hmm. so a lot of times when you see representation of same-sex parents or or queer relationships in elementary school it is a very like I'm just going to say innocuous way of presenting it of a book that's like some some families have a mommy and a daddy and some families have a mommy and a mommy like something on that basic level 
where there's actually no sex involved. But of course, to a lot of these people, the mere existence of a homosexual is sexuality is is um, sexually explicit. Right. Yeah. So but, you know, when you get it, the, the line kind of blurs when you start to get between middle and high school because of the fact that there's stuff that's YA that you're trying to figure out, OK, like, is this appropriate for a middle school or should this be moved to high school? But a lot of schools have that internal debate anyway when they create rating lists and they put things in libraries and stuff. Um, I'm kind of with you. I don't know if I would give gender queer to a middle school student. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think it is it is, you know, there are. I don't know if you've read it or not. Um, I read it recently. There are some pretty graphic panels in that book. You know, there's genitalia. Okay. That I would say, okay, like I I would, I would feel comfortable with a high school student reading it. Not so much with a middle school student. It's, it's kind of, you know, have to be a mature. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of iffy on that. So, so I'm like, you know, um, so I kind of get that, but like, nobody's giving this book to a fourth grader, but, but it's, it's being made to, to see that. And there's a increasing distrust of teachers and librarians that's going on from by and large, more conservative groups to make the right decisions as far as education is concerned. And this is where Mm -hmm. you get this, this echo of groomer, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's where some of like my frustration comes in because we, we do know what's appropriate for standards and things like that. They're trying to constantly override you to, because they don't trust you. Are they using the groomer term for the material or the person? Cause yep. I always felt like that term is more, it's person related. They're using it for the person. Okay. And it's basically that they're taking their, t- their through, through their curriculum and through their instruction and through these books, these teachers are making kids gay or leading them to sexual deviance. But don't forget, it, it's, it's a very specific choice of words and it's a very deliberate one because when I hear the word grooming, I think of pedophilia. Right, because it's involving yeah. the yeah. It's not like you're but, you're. I mean, it's, it's super insidious, yeah. like how they're using it, because you're basically saying the teacher is just wanting to bring their entire class over to their yeah. house and do stuff. But don't forget that the religious right has always tried to link homosexuality and pedophilia for decades. Of course, because they, you know no, they, they, they they fought against like gay adoption. You know, because they're, you know, again, it's this idea that that if you two two gay parents, the kid is in danger of being sexually abused or something. And and that's their again, it's they're they're essentially pulling from the playbook they've been pulling for from for for 40 or 50 years. Um, You brought up race, by the way. There's a lawsuit that the NAACP has filed in um, in uh, South Carolina. Uh, and then I got this off of uh, the NAACP's website of an article called an op-ed called Book Bans, an Act of Policy Violence Promoting Anti-Blackness by Dr. Felton Moss. And, you know, he talks about how in Pickens, Pickens County, South Carolina, they banned Stamped, which is by Ibram X. Kendi and Jason Reynolds. It is the mm-hmm. young adult version of Ken, Dr. Kendi's book Stamped from the Beginning, which is a, a history of racism in America, I think is the subtitle of the book. If I'm remembering correctly, uh, so what Kendi did was got together with uh, Jason Reynolds, who was a young adult author, a black and adult author's written books like Long Way Down and a couple of other books, and they adapted or remixed, as it says on the cover, I believe, <laughs> stamp from the beginning to something that is more accessible to the 
middle to high school student. Um, and I know you're going to be reading it soon for class because I just loaded yep. Brett's copy. So this was banned outright. There was, it was, there was an effort to ban it. And he's basically going after what this is an extension of the effort to push back against the debate over history curricula in the United States, that there has been a movement over the last decade or so to take history curriculum and standards and say, okay, we need a more accurate exploration of American history. We need to remove a lot of the mythologizing. We need to acknowledge the role slavery has played in our history. We need to we need to acknowledge or explore black issues, explore Latinx issues, explore queer issues like, you know, just kind of a broadening of people and subjects mm-hmm. as well as just a more honest look at it and and getting rid of some of the inaccuracies. Um, so there's been a lot of pushback against the curriculum and then this book as well. Um, his big points is says, you know, when you have efforts to remove this, you are denying black children the opportunity to learn and study true and accurate accounts of black history and American history as it's a form of perpetuating uh, systemic oppression. And I, I would agree with that. I also would agree that that's what you're doing with the queer community as well. That by not allowing young people to just read about characters um, or people or even the history that, you know, the history of the, the, the civil rights movement surrounding, you know, LGBTQ people or, or or books with queer characters or whatever, you're, you're oppressing them as well. You know, you're oppressing the kids themselves. And it has specifically shown that it leads to more bullying. Right. And you brought up mm-hmm. suicide, which, you know, is 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 very high. But it also leads to cisgender hetero kids not having an understanding of who some of their peers are. You know, it squashes allyship, which is another important thing that's and I I don't know if I I would assume you would agree with me on this. There's a difference between I don't want my kid reading this and going to a teacher and saying, Can he have an alternate assignment? And trying to get the book removed outright. Yeah. Well, because one is you're trying to do it for everybody. Mm -hmm. You're not giving anyone a chance. And so you might have your own personal issues with it and having, and maybe, or maybe you're not ready. Like everyone has their own personal story. So maybe that parent is not ready for their child to read something like the, uh, the bluest eye or beloved. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but maybe that'll come later on. But to say that, you know, you shouldn't be reading this at all. Like that's, that's the issue. Yeah. It needs to be a case by case sort of situation. And hopefully uh, these reasons, like when people are challenging books, uh, I don't give them the benefit of the doubt. If a parent like your example comes up to, or even that student that came up to you, I would give them the benefit of the doubt. Like maybe they just weren't ready. Cause beloved is a heavy novel. Yes. So, I mean, maybe they are not ready. Maybe something had happened. Um, maybe that when they're older, they'll feel like they're more ready to tackle that. I mean, that was certainly true for me. Like there's novels that I didn't really want to read when I was younger. And um, now I feel better prepared. Like The Handmaid's Tale is a perfect example mm-hmm. of that where I did not like it the first time I read it. I did feel like very upset. And then rereading it this uh, previous time, this most recent time when we covered it, I had a better appreciation for it. So I, I give those people more of a benefit of the doubt. I do too, and this is going to come off as completely egotistical on my part. But when, <gasps> yeah, 
But when you as a student <laughs> or a parent has the respect to come to me individually and we can have a conversation about it and resolve it then and there and you don't go over my head, then I, I can I have more respect for your wishes there because you have shown you know, you've shown me as the teacher, the professional respect that I think I deserve in that situation. Yeah. You know, if I, if I was being obstinate, you know, and saying, well, no, you have to do this. And you went to the principal that's justified because clearly there's an impasse, but it's when you completely skip that step and you just go right to the school board. Or I give you the alternate assignment, but you're like, well, I just don't want to do this anyway. That's where I, you know, again, my respect goes out the door. And I, I side-eye your um, your motivation here, right? Yes. So. Yeah. And, you know, talking about, like, the, the sex that people are uncomfortable with, because I think that is a consistent issue. I don't know if that's necessarily always going to go away, where you uh, your quote was about a book – uh, that it's going to lead to pregnancy, abortion, <laughs> yes. sexual assault, STD, like all of this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So sex is, and and to a certain extent, when people think of like queer people, they don't think about it of themselves if they're if they're straight or hetero. Um, but it's almost like you are thinking about who is who is the person you're having sex with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that makes people very uncomfortable because we know that sex ed is like an issue in schools. Oftentimes, you know, parents don't want their kids to have yes. it. You know, I come from a school that didn't have it. And I would argue that some of these books like that one potentially, again, you're reading with the the the, the kid and having conversations would prevent some of those things from happening. Because you are, I don't know what, I can't recall what book that was, but you are, if you have a young man as a child, then you're talking about consent and no means no. And, you know, you don't try to convince someone to like, it'd be cool if you gave me a blowjob, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And then if you have a young lady, you also talk about, it's your right to say no, don't ever be forced into anything. And also in both parties, you know, be safe. Uh, and all of that. So a lot of these like lead to a great opportunity for discussion, but people aren't seeing it necessarily that way. Yeah. And in fact, what's interesting is that there are books about puberty, for instance, there's one called it's so amazing, which is pretty straightforward. We actually bought it for, for our kid um, around the time of, you know, like when health class was starting the sexual education and all that it, that that was on the most boundary challenge books of the 2000 to 2009 list the idea that that a frank talk about um these things like you were just saying is just something that they don't want to see either you know there's a there's a huge belief there with abstinence only and this doesn't exist etc cetera, etc cetera, which again mm-hmm. you're not educating students about the, the the you're actually not educating the students about how to be safe they're going to yes. end up, you know, and, and I come from I come from a generation that grew up and came of age in the late 80s and early 1990s. And where I grew up, we had a significantly 
solid education around safe sex because we grew up in the shadow of the AIDS crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, it was not perfect by any means. There were things we should have learned about more and more. We didn't really learn about, you know, we didn't learn much about gay people, et cetera. You know, we just kind of learned that they existed. That was about it. And there was, I think they just kind of like, they kind of like blew by that. Um, but they did talk about, I mean, we talked about using condoms and what STDs were and like how AIDS is transmitted and things like that. So I learned a lot more about protecting yourself than other people in other parts of the country. But yeah. And, but, but, you know, this is all kind of goes into the whole issue of control anyway, that, you know, you want some sort of control over, you just, there's a certain amount of control that's desired over children and there's a certain amount of control that's desired over society. You know, this is all part of a big play in, in the more fundamentalist communities to kind of start to try to transform schools. You know, that they, they do have a goal and I know I'm sounding like a crackpot here, but there's a certain goal among certain groups to, to, to kind of dismantle the public school system and replace them with religious. Schools. Oh my gosh. And, and the approach or, or you, yeah, well, this is relevant in our lives too. Or on the, on the flip side, it might be religious, but it also is a profit thing where if it's not religious, it's a charter thing. And somebody's making money off of this. Usually the people who are stand to gain power and money, you know, like, so, and the approach seems to be, and I'm drifting a little off topic. I'll bring it back. But the approach seems to be break the public school system and they say it was broken. We need to replace it, you know, like, <laughs> you know, um, and uh, with charters or something like that. So the, mm-hmm. the, this is part of it. But I don't know. I see, you know, they, they bring up parents' rights. You know, and we've talked a little bit about it already. But, like, we hear the whole what about the children thing. Is it disingenuous at this point, and you know, like these children who are so sheltered, how do they deal with society and diversity when they're adults? I would say not well. Um, unfortunately, we're I think it it becomes hereditary, <laughs> hereditary, yeah. uh, not genetically, but just how they grow up. So if they are, and you know, I'm I'm just going to say some blatant terms here. I, I think that people will be offended. Um, But if you look inside yourself and you think about some of the actions, because I believe that people prove themselves not by their words, but by their actions, um, then you will see that this is potentially true. Um, If you are racist and uh, heterosexist or, you know, we can go homophobic, transphobic and you're preventing that for for lack of nice little umbrella. Yes. and you're preventing them or you're even saying things like, you know, oh, that's really weird, da, 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 um, that we had a trans woman on the cover of the SI swimsuit illustrate, uh, you know, yeah. that that. Yeah. Uh, which happened last year. And that was something that somebody said in the office that I worked at. Um, then that is passed down. And then that child, unless they are able to educate themselves when they leave the homestead and meet different people are going to have like, yeah, these bad impressions of people 
Um, it depends on their character, I think, and also I probably the spirit inside of them, whether they want to engage with other people. But, yeah, it's, it's unfortunately passed down. So I think the what about the children it's more about the parents at this point mm-hmm. and their belief systems and they're using the children as their their sort of safety net. And I think to a certain extent they do like they worry about it, but it's just going to get passed down. And this is why racism is systemic and it's just like not going away because we do have people that are racist and are passing down those ideals, whether um, aggressively or through microaggressions and things like that. So that's, yeah, that's the disconcerting part of things. Do you think these, they have too much power in this case? I know that is the question, you know, I, yeah, I put that in there Um, because so, the school that I worked at was closely to or definitely, I can't recall, um, what is it, ad in loco, in loco parentis. I had to think about the proper uh, okay. phrase, which basically means like when the child is with us, we are acting like we are acting in lieu of the yeah, parents. Yeah. And, and honestly, like you and I deal with these kids – if you count the minutes more than they're with their, their mm-hmm. parents. So I think perhaps, you know, that. so we have an amazing opportunity to help foster, um, and grow good humans. Um, when the parents, I don't know if they don't like to relax control, um, or if they see, you know, something happening that they don't like, they're going to assert themselves. But it does seem like, yes, they do maybe have a little too much power. I feel like it's a bit unbalanced. I think it needs to be 50-50. But unfortunately, I think that the parents might have 50 and then like school board and teachers are maybe split. But the school board tends to side with the parents, I think, for fear of repercussions, whatever those repercussions might be. Um, so it's just not an even split because there's not a dialogue. They yeah. come in so hot. They don't have a discussion. They've already made their decision. And then, you know, they expect things to go their way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, does that therefore make the discussion just not worth it? Cause this is, this is interesting. I was listening to a podcast about, um, they had a guy on there who studied, kind of the habits of internet trolls. And he was saying that one of the things that they like to do is call you out or be pedantic about your morality, but petulant about their own in that they can, they have, they don't care that they're being hypocritical. So they'll, they'll yell at you. And when you don't give them an audience and don't give them the benefit of the doubt, they will accuse you of being like immoral, unethical, um, quashing their right to free speech or something like that. It's, it's, you know, there, there's a definite, um, dissonance that goes on there and it's done on purpose. And, uh, I don't, so I, so I don't know how to engage other, but other than the cover still, my, yeah. cover my rear end part of it, as far as, you know, the rules are concerned, oh, yeah. I don't know how to engage people in these conversations. <sighs> Yeah. Well, I mean, you and I have both listened to a particular podcast where I think that that, you know, that whole experience is like kind of what you're talking Mm -hmm. about almost. Um, Yeah, we might not change minds, but I think we we can't keep silent because I think silence is 
an acknowledgement, a tacit acknowledgement yes. of what's going on. I am flummoxed and, and flabbergasted all the F words <laughs> of like just not being open to having a discussion, it, just coming in with your um, your mindset and not changing and not looking at facts mm-hmm. either and just coming in coming in really hot and and unfortunately yeah the bible is a now that percentage that you said was it 15 that seemed like a very low percentage um, what's the what was the what was it about uh, a groups i think you said groups that brought forward there was a, it was a political group yeah so i'm going i'm going to get to that and then, in a second <laughs> oh okay yeah. oh you're I getting have, to have, religion I, or politics? i have a a little bit of both um, cuz i do okay, want to talk so about religion but i do have a, a statistic yeah. that okay. was recently published that kind of elucidates yeah. that a little bit more yeah i'll save it yeah. uh, and i do want to say obviously we're like halfway into this episode and and i could have uh, brought it up at the very beginning but Tom was in a flow and I didn't really want to. But, you know, because you said that we're not necessarily coming into this objectively, mm-hmm. which is true because we do have um, I think we uh, have a, a certain political leaning and we're educators. So we're like in the line. <laughs> we're on the front lines of things. Um, but I also say for people who are listening or like contemplating Definitely like educate yourselves on these things and don't just listen to like because that's my fear is like there's a sheep mentality Mm. and that, you know, someone says that genderqueer is bad and it's going to corrupt people and and gives a list of reasons. And then everyone's like, oh, my gosh, that sounds. Yeah, but they don't read it. And then they just listen to everyone else. And I feel like. You really have to engage with the material before you come to a decision about it. Because, uh, yeah, sure, on the surface, you know, I saw that there, I guess there's like fellatio mm-hmm. and um, an older man, younger man. So that sounds like, yeah, that sounds like, ooh, you know, but you don't know what the context mm-hmm. is or what that person is going through. And so I think people are just like very surface level and following what other group think, right? Which we, of course, we've yeah. done 1984. So I just, you know, anyone listening to to this who might already have their own ideas about things i really encourage you to sit down and read those books and and think for yourself and try not to because i think it's just so extreme to be like no i think i think it's it needs to be gray it cannot be black and white on these issues yeah, and and there's also something you said about and we could always do gender queers and novels at a later date if you feel like it um <laughs> yeah. no i mean it, it's, it was <laughs> i mean we might as well we might do, do it, it at some point but um there's something you said about the fact that at least from what i've read and, and I'd have to do a little more research. So I'm just trying to go remember what I read when I read this. And I, I did a little bit of research into it. And I believe that the author, they um, wrote the book for adults. Like they wrote for, like I said, 18 or 16 or 18 plus. So yeah. the book was never intended for a 13-year-old. And so yeah. and I think that's important as well. Now, are, are you per, are you familiar with the political term astroturfing? I'm okay. Not. So astroturfing, you know what a grassroots campaign is, right? Okay. Yes. Grass, you know, being kind of the common person comes up and they come up with a campaign and they, they, so it's, it's the everyday person group getting together, et cetera. Astroturfing is when you have what seems like a grassroots campaign, but it actually is funded by like a political action committee or the Koch brothers or something like, you know, there's, there's big money behind it. 
And it's it's essentially a widespread effort that on in its appearance looks like the grassroots. But, you know, because AstroTurf, of course, being fake grass. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you mentioned the whole thing with the statistic about how like 14 or 15 percent were brought up by political or religious groups, but the majority were brought up by parents. What this AstroTurfing campaign has done is it tells the individual parents to make the complaints. So I the complaint see. doesn't come from the group. It comes from the parent. But the parents are coming to these school boards or the parents are coming to these politicians with the same list because they're getting they're getting a script. And the Washington Post had it, the, the Pan America, who is who, uh, along with Penguin Publishing and Random House, has uh, the, they're suing um, a couple of states, I think, regarding uh, regarding book bans. And they've done some studies And the Washington Post had a great article over the last couple. It was recently updated over the last uh, month or so about who really is behind these bans. And it's groups like. Moms for Liberty, I think, is the big name right there, which, uh, which believe it or not, the Southern uh, Poverty Law Center just tagged as a hate group. And oh. um, they point out that we have in this country serial challenge filers in that the, they're, all the challenges are filed by individuals, but it's the same individual. And in some cases, it's one person taking things from other people and filing it, et cetera, because they're part of a Facebook group. They're like, I'll be the one who files it. And it was like they looked at a thousand book bans uh, or challenges over the course of last year, the post did, and they found that it was 11 people doing them. So it looks like a grassroots thing, but it's again, it's 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 a coordinated, concerted effort. And a lot of them don't read the books. What they do is they keyword search for content they find the sexually explicit thing and they say this book and they put it on a list and they go. And that's how they've been able to work so fast, you know, or they are, um, they are actually working for the Republican party. So, so when our, when our governor got elected, part of the campaign toward the end of the campaign centered around the book beloved being taught in in AP lit classes, by the way, not in eighth grade. And um, there was a woman who was concerned mom and her son had read Beloved and was assigned Beloved in, in high school and had nightmares about it. And I don't want this kid reading my book. Her and her son both work for like Youngkin's campaign or a political action committee. It was like it was totally like, I don't know, you could see through the illusion or everything, but it worked on some level. And all this parents write stuff and stuff came up. So there is a lot of this like conservative, conservative, and it is very, by and large conservative. And I'll get to that in a second. Um, we'll get to religion in a minute. Um, but yeah, it, it is very much a coordinated effort by groups like Moms for Liberty and the Alliance for Defending Freedom. You know, the irony is not lost. But they want it to appear that it is individual because that's the attractiveness of it, Right. The attractiveness mm-hmm. to Karen sitting down in Lynchburg, you know, oh, this mom made the effort. And, I, and it's just like, no, <laughs> it, you know, she may have been there, but, you know, she had a lot of help and everything. And, and, and it's not. And believe it or not, polls over the last couple of years have shown that upwards of 80 percent of people don't like banning books. So it's a very, very vocal extremist minority. And they wrap themselves in Christianity. And I'm not the type of person to really have a 
say on this because I'm just like throw two middle fingers up at these people and, you know, <laughs> curse a lot at them. Sure. As somebody who is Christian, like you see this, like, how do you react? What are your thoughts? Oi. Yes. I'm not, try- I'm not trying to put you too much on the spot, but I just think. You know, no, no. I mean, I knew I knew we were going to get into it. Yes. I I think I've been pretty uh, vocal about uh, my criticism of people using the term Christianity mm-hmm. and um, either not really being Christian because a lot of people just think that, oh, I believe in God. That's Christianity. But that's that's not what Christianity is, uh, if you are subscribing to or ascribing to, subscribing to uh, the teachings of Jesus Christ and following him, like that's that's what a Christian is. Um, and then they're also like throwing out Bible terms and like out of context that just like grates on me so much. Um, so they're going to first say about homosexuality being a sin and find the Bible. So, you know, in recent years and by recent years, I basically mean like 2022, 2023, I have found out that the term homosexuality was not translated in any biblical text until 1949. Uh, I didn't know that. Yes. So any of the places that they're using for homosexuality are talking about other things. So like a gang rape, um, when some people come to the door and there's an angel there and they like want to have sex with him or uh, an older man with a younger man uh, forcing himself. Those are the situations, which is not homosexuality. That's that's that is deviant behavior because it's rape and also pedophilia. Yes. So people are just under the I don't know how we're going to change those sorts of minds because people aren't doing education and and looking at translations and things. So they're just outright saying homosexuals are bad. Um, They're also only looking at Old Testament and like Old Testament is I mean, it's rough in general. um, But if you're looking at the New Testament, we have this new covenant with um, with Jesus is coming. And the fact that Jesus was hanging out at that. This is turned into a religion <laughs> podcast, was turning was hanging out with people at that time, which would be considered like the dregs of society. You because women were there. So that's why I feel comfortable saying that. Absolutely. There are definitely queer people around him and he was not chewing them away. And in fact, this is one of the things that I said when a, uh, a bi student came out to me and was worried about you know going going to heaven and all of that and i said listen do you feel like when you die and you're like up there and jesus is outside the gates that he's gonna say i'm so sorry you can't come in you're gay that is that is antithetical to his teachings um so i just want to say that but that requires like massive um deprogramming and i don't know how that's going to happen um the other thing is, and I don't know how many people talk about this, but I, I'll mention it because when I had a Christian mentor, this was brought up a lot, um, because I would ask like, Oh, have you watched this or read this? And depending on what it was, the answer would be, it might be no, uh, because of this call to engage with, in all senses of that word, things that are, good, true, and beautiful. And so things that do not align there, we try to kind of push them away. And I can, I absolutely see that because it's like 
more healthy for the soul to engage with these things rather than be bogged down with with dark matter. I, however, um, love to have discussions on what this like truly means, because we're living in a fallen society. So there are some good, true and beautiful things. But also we have these really hard things that we're working through. And I think that um, the darkness or the sadness in them or the struggle can also be true and can also be uh good and beautiful um so genderqueer i don't know how that ends necessarily but seeing someone like if you are outright saying like this is an ugly thing um i would say like this is a true this is a true that was a memoir right i think so okay so this is true this is obvious this is even though very situational could happen to anyone else and then where did that author go like at the very end and kind of seen that whole arc? And I think they zoom in on certain uh, like parts of it and don't look at the whole. Um, so for me, you know, if I'm struggling with something um, that might be hard to read, I, I still feel like that it's true. And then at the end, I think that uh, beauty comes from some of that struggle and, um, coming out stronger from some of that so but i don't i think people just have this idea of like roses and sunshine and that's the only thing we but that's not real life and so i don't they're like living in this um i they're like thinking ahead potentially to like the next life which is all going to be true but we're here and so i think to be here where we are now and to not engage with that is um wrong-headed in my opinion yeah, it, it seems to me that a lot of the people who are using um, by the you know the Bible or, or Christianity, and it's a very the, the word fundamentalist you know gets thrown. It's very extreme, but it's I, I get the impression that it's, that it's a minority in a way, a very, yeah, vocal, very vocal one, one as as it always with, is, with yeah. a lot of political power, and I think that's the that's the dangerous dangerous part of it. But yeah, I think you put that very, very well. Um, oh, that's good. <laughs> there is a I just kind of we're 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 we are a you know because these these discussions are ne never as um, long as the you know couple hours we do on the books uh, because we didn't have like a ten fifteen minute synopsis to do. So a couple of things. Um, so these the people will come out and they'll say, look, this book is sexually explicit. Which is a very broad mm -hmm. term, right? Because people have claimed that Raina Telgemeier's drama is sexually explicit. And we read that book, and there's a kiss between two boys at one point, and one boy is technically in drag because he, he plays the female role in the play. I don't find that sexually explicit. <laughs> you know, like, like, do we need a more, like, we, we, I guess we will have an eternal argument over what is sexually explicit in materials. Yeah. And I know that a lot of people have, have quoted a Supreme Court justice. I want to say it was Warren Berger, but I'm not sure where, or, or Warren, where he said, regarding pornography, I know it when I see it. Yeah. Um, like, whose definition do we follow? Because I don't find in a middle grades graphic novel, two boys sharing a pretty chaste kiss sexually. Was tongue no, involved? I think they just kiss. Yeah, I know. Seriously. Like, um, I think, I think that goes to, I'm uncomfortable with two boys mm -hmm, kissing. Yeah. So it comes to homophobia. 
Um, I also, you know, I, I dropped the term pornographic because I think some of the challenges also say that. And I think porn, pornography or pornographic material, the intent is to titillate. Yes. And I think there's a difference between there's a point to having this in the story versus we want the 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 reader to get excited and then get off on it afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that we've encountered any of that. Like Fifty Shades of Grey, I could say, like, I think that, yeah, it, you know, yeah. that might be the the yeah, the point of that is to uh, get your jollies from that. Um, but no, yeah, I mean, explicit, um, I think just, well, I mean, literally, you know, just being very clear and direct about what's going mm -hmm. on, but unless like genitalia is being talked about and something is being inserted something somewhere else, I feel like that's not, that would not be my definition of explicit. So I think it comes down to homophobia. Yeah. I mean, cause there are certain, there are certain novels that are, uh, that are graphic, or explicit. Beloved is yes. a good example because Beloved, you know, that one of the things, the complaints about Beloved is that it's pornographic because of the depiction of bestiality. Right? And there is some, but there's a very clear point to that. And it has to do with the dehumanization yeah. of enslaved people, especially enslaved men. And Morrison not shying away from the horrors of what these men were put through in mm -hmm. a way that is... Yes, it's explicit or graphic, but it's there to make that point because yes. it was a point that was not being made enough, you know, when right. she was writing it. So, you know, you're supposed to be appalled by that. Yeah. That's the point, yeah, right? Think, yeah. You know, you're supposed to yeah. be appalled by it. And again, I'm not giving this to a kid in eighth grade. <laughs> I'm giving it to a right. high school yeah. senior who is an AP lit, you know. Yeah. And that's that's the age appropriateness argument as well. Yeah, I think it comes. I mean, we, we come back to this. This is obviously something that I'm very interested in having a discussion. On. I don't know when it's going to happen, but, you know, rape and sexual assault and mm -hmm. things like that. And uh, with any of these, I think sex scenes, you just have to add, or sensual scenes. I don't know. Um, you just have to think, is it. Is there a purpose to this or was this unnecessary? Yeah. Um, you know, like anime, if there's like tentacle rape, you're like, that's clearly unnecessary. There's no way that you could ever in any circumstance say that that was then that would be, you know, that would be something. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't know. Again, that's, I think, engaging with the material. Yeah. And I think people are just reading it and they're like, whoa. Nope, nope, nope. There's yeah, and not having a dialogue with it, which is yeah, very interesting. Th that, that is engaging the material, and it's also employing critical thinking, because you don't, yes. So like you read, you read um, genderqueer, you read all boys aren't blue, which does have a description of the. It's a memoir, and it does have a description of the of the author having anal sex for the first time. You might feel uncomfortable with it. You might not think the scene's necessary. But if you're having a dialogue with the text and you're having a discussion about it, that's healthier than just, I yeah. heard it was in this book, get it out of here. You know, that's a book I thought was was good. It was, I wasn't the biggest fan of the writing style of the author. But again, that's a whole different, that's a critical discussion. That's not, you know, mm -hmm. content. Uh, one of the novels on, on the ALA's list was, oh, what was the name? I'm surprised Fun Home 
was I feel like Fun Home was challenged. I guess oh, genderqueer has sort of just fun, yeah, Fun it. Home has been challenged over and over and over again. It has been on the yeah. it's been on the most challenged. These were just the top thirteen because some of them were tied for fifth and tenth. And this year, I yeah. think some of these are more recent than Fun Home because I think Fun Home's I don't think it's twenty years old yet, but it's at least a good decade yeah. old. So you know Yeah. And genderqueer you see a penis? Yes, as well as a um a strap on a dildo. Oh, a dildo. Yeah. And again, okay. it's, yeah, I feel like there's also because there's definitely a double standard with male versus female yes. nudity. But I think there's some. So I definitely nudity think that that's well. come into play. Yeah, yeah. there's some female yeah. nudity is there as well. It is a it oh. is a very frank and yes graphic discussion of gender and sexuality that for older adolescents and young adults can be very helpful in in a number of ways. Mm hmm. I think the other thing, and this is this is a whole other discussion that that all of our comic fans friends have had. I think there are a lot of adults who equate graphic novels with kids stuff too, and yep. I think it fall, and they think that's part of the reason it gets you know because we see graphic novel and they think Spider Man, right? You know, they think they think the or, <laughs> or the 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 manga that the kids are reading, like they yep. still a lot of these people still do not grasp the concept that there are very adult graphic novels that that little kids shouldn't be reading um mm -hmm. out of darkness is it was number nine um by ashley hope perez uh there's a very graphic rape scene toward the end of the book that because I, I read it for a book club a couple of years ago and i remember saying the book i was like why was this in there you know, mm -hmm. and not in the sort of I was offended by this, but it was one of those things where, like, I was trying to figure out why she felt the need to. And, and it was yeah. kind of leading there with the character and the way he was acting toward this this girl. But it seemed very like. Obviously, it made me uncomfortable, which it was supposed to do. But at the same time, I was I was questioning, like, did we need this? You know, that sort of thing. So but again. I don't know. Maybe I'm sounding hypocritical. To me, that's a discussion worth having. It's supposed to mean not trying to prevent, you know, taking the book out of the hand of a 17 year old or something. <laughs> Absolutely. And we don't want to start erasing these sorts of scenes to pretend that they don't happen. Yes. So is that do you feel like that's almost like we're equating like we don't want to talk about sex. Sex doesn't happen. Sex only happens in the compound of the you know bedroom behind curtains. Mm -hmm. No one knows about yeah. it. Um, do you feel like that's also kind of a. A subtle message that's coming through with some I, of this stuff. I think stuff. because there's in in especially in um, especially in the way more extremer communities, there the idea that um, that sex is not for pleasure; it's for you know procreation. Yeah. As a woman, you are dirty. You know, like just the sh the misogyny involved in that. You know, there's always that when it comes to sex ed. There's always that insistence that you know a parent should be the one educating their children about sex and i understand what you're saying but by and large parents do a pretty crappy job of educating their children yes. about sex, or they or don't, they don't yeah. do it at all yeah and you know with my generation you found other places to learn about these things and there were a lot more sources back then that were reputable or that like or that we're doing you know sex education like you might see it on a TV show or, or you might actually come across a book or something. That's not the case these days, and there's a lot of misinformation because of the internet, 
And there's a lot of ways that pornography can give kids, especially young men, the wrong idea about what sex should be. You mm-hmm. know? And how yeah. to treat yeah, and how a to woman. Treat a woman. And I'm not trying to shame mm-hmm. pornography. It's just <sighs> they end up learning it in a very unhealthy way because they're not given proper adult guidance. You're going to think it's okay that a pizza's not paid for. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I agree with you. Yeah. I agree with you. So, I was tr- I was trying to come up with a, a similar follow up, <laughs> but I'm just like, song. no, I, I, I. That's I, the only I, like trope yeah. that I that yeah. I know is like I don't have That's any. One hell money of a tip. Um, so, all right, I do want. There's two things, that, two more questions I have, and then we're gonna we're gonna wrap up. First, to kind of look at our counter argument. Because when you see this, there are two things that often come up. One of them I'm just going to dismiss right away because I I see, um, well, that's not actually a ban, right? And it's like, but you have to combat challenges because they can lead to bans. I know it's a slippery slope argument, but there's a lot of rhetoric that comes out, that's come out lately that is very extreme. And to get upset about bans and things in my mind, I'm like, you have to, even if it's a challenge, it's like, you know, you have to combat them now. There's also the argument, will liberals do it too? And so I, I did a little bit of research into this because when we hear that, it's the quote woke crowd, right? Or the PC crowd, which is what they used to say back in the day, usually in California, going after books and trying to ban them because, you know, they're snowflakes or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever the, whatever the term of the day is, right? Um, most of the time, it comes up in the term in the context of racial epithets or the depiction of race and books that tend to get looked at are books that use the N word. And the three that we often see are one of which we've covered of mice and men, mm-hmm. the adventures of Huckleberry Finn and to kill a mockingbird. And um, I'm looking at them on a page from uh, Marshall University. Uh, and in 2022, they have two cases, um, both in California, uh, in Burbank. Um, there were complaints about the use of racist epithets in Mockingbird Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. The K, which is a which is a young adult novel from like the 60s, uh, which I read reread a couple of years ago. It wasn't very good. Uh, of Mice and Men and Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. Uh, the Burbank Unified School District Superintendent removed the titles from reading lists, from required reading lists. There was a review committee, and then he also banned the use of N-word in all school classes. Uh, the titles are available for individual reading, and teachers can use them with small groups after the teachers have undergone training on facilitating conversations on racism, implicit bias, and racial identity. Uh, the district will also review reading lists every eight years. And then in response to concerns raised by Mice and Men, Huck Finn, and Mockingbird, they were contemporarily removed from the mandatory reading list of the William S. Hart Eanes High School School District in Santa Clarita, California. The books remain in school libraries. Teachers can no longer use them. The district is currently accepting inputs from students, teachers, and parents as they set criteria for what should be on mandatory reading lists, and no timeline has been provided for when the criteria we reveal they're utilized. This was as of 2022. I don't know if anything has come of that since the beginning of the year. And I, I understand 
that that's a pushback against what we're seeing here. But there are, there's entire, like, I hate PD, but there's entire professional development. There are entire books about, books like that, like Huck Finn and like To Kill a Mockingbird. And how to approach them from a different perspective and context and how to have that conversation about the use of the N-word in the book. There's a really, really good book I would recommend there for those of you who are teachers and English teachers called Letting Go of Literary Whiteness, which is about really how to approach a book like how to approach the canon, how do we change the canon. And there's a specific I think there's a specific chapter in the book on To Kill a Mockingbird and how to have teach that book from a different perspective, because there are criticisms and some of them, you know, when we ever read the book and discuss it, we can always talk about this. There are some criticisms to Kim Lockenberg that are valid and some that I think are a little overblown, but that's, you know, your mileage may vary. But I'm looking at when people say that and they bring up the Huck Finn and they bring up the use of like, you know, PC stuff and language or being too sensitive or something. I think it's a false equivalence. Because they, you know, just, we need a counter argument, so we're going to equivocate here. And I think one of the reasons the false equivalence is the volume of challenges to those two novels tend to run in the single to double digits, as opposed to the hundreds of challenges to like gender queer. Gender queer was challenged 151 times last year. I mean, it's, I, I don't put I don't put challenging to kill a mockingbird or Huckleberry Finn because of the depiction of race in the N word, and I want to perhaps remove it from curriculum or recontextualize it on the same level of get gender queer out of this thing because it's you know explicit you know like I just I don't see mm-hmm. that as an equivalence but I think it gets used too much, and I think we have to really ask again what we've been talking the whole time. Why is this a the right like a right wing thing? Why is why is it so? You know, we've talked about the power, and we talked about all the, inf- the these fears and all these things. But they love to paint more liberal people as like too sensitive for these things and stuff like that. But I think it's just a false equivalence, and I think it's a deflection. Yeah, um, you know, I've recently been because there's going to be a future quinoa episode about why 52% of Christian identifying people voted for Donald Mm -hmm. Trump. And I've come to the realization that they kind of have uh, these people when they vote, this might be true for you or I, I feel like I have more issues, but they kind of come down on two issues that they're really well-versed in and they really care about, and then they choose the candidate that follows those mm-hmm. issues. Um, I I feel like, even though the two issues aren't necessarily here, because I, I know what those two issues are, I think, I, do too. Um, I think that because Christianity is so tied to the Republican Party and we're getting into the yeah the, the the queer way of life is not the republican way of life not saying that um there aren't right leaning queers mm-hmm. out there but i think that we've seen just like with um black americans um 
that you realize the Republican Party kind of has it out for you, that you start going to the other side where there's there's a bit more uh, protection. Um, I think it's just, yeah, the nation's values. I think I feel like it started with Reagan because I was doing some research of like, when did this shift kind of uh, change? Because Democrat, you know, used to be kind of the racist party. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it's now it's sort of shifted. Um, does that answer? Is that the question of why this is Republican, a, more of a Republican than Democrat? Yeah, I issue? can add to that, too. I think it's honestly tied to religion mm-hmm. and values and 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 republicans i think are stuck in the the past like they have this idea of what the status quo should be and it's this idea of make america great again which of course donald trump did not trademark that began with ronald reagan and their idea of that is like old old fashioned um morals and values and i think it's um it's honestly disingenuous to, um, and I guess just again heterosexist uh, and homophobic, to just assume that if there's like a gay couple that they're just like um, sleeping their way around. Because I mean, straight people are sleeping around too, so they're just assuming that this one thing leads them to just be a terrible human being in all in all wait. You know, they're drinking, they're taking drugs, they're having sex with all sorts of people. Um, but I think that actually there's some t- statistics to tell us that actually, uh, you know, the queers have probably the best track record of uh, relationships that yeah. stick together. Um, I don't have the numbers on hand, so I can't prove that. But just to say that I, I think their ideas of values, I, I don't know what that is. And they have an idea of what a family looks like. And that's, you know, a male the, and a the female nuclear family. and two children. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. But that's changed. I mean, just because I have a woman and a woman or a man and a man or, you know, two non-binary or trans or whatever is not going to destroy the house. It could actually be even more loving because these people know what it feels like to be attacked and marginalized and they're going to raise their children better than that. Yeah, the um, there's some sort of like they, they see this as like this existential threat um, and they like to point out the. They love to use the most flamboyant examples as the norm when and I don't say this mean mean to be insulting by saying this. There are a lot of boring queer couples out there. Right. No, it's just like it's just like <laughs> just like there yeah, are a lot of normal, anything. ordinary for sure. Queer family. It's just you know, and who are just kind of like, and, and honestly, you know, that's one of the things you hear online a lot. It's like they're more obsessed with their sex lives than the actual people having the sex, right? It's just like, I just want to go to work. You know, <laughs> I just want to be able to walk into an establishment and have a beer with my friends or go to dinner. Like, you know, I just want to lead my normal life. So I think you're very right there. And I think with the political history of it, um, so the two parties kind of switch this, this polarity switches in the mid 60s. Yeah. The path, it has to. Do, it starts with the Civil Rights Act and the what the Republicans or what Nick, I think Nixon um, or, or Gold was it Goldwater. It was the result of of President Johnson's signing of the political of the, of the Civil Rights Act and everything, and the idea of what, what then became known as the uh, Southern Strategy. And by the time you hit around sixty eight or so. 
when Nixon wins the election. One of the reasons he wins, one of the reasons he wins is the Democratic Party is in complete disarray. Johnson, because of Vietnam, could not run again. It's just a whole it's a it's a it's a crap show. But the other reason is that Nixon took advantage of the fact that the that the Dixiecrats in the South felt betrayed by the fact that Johnson signed civil rights legislation and it flipped the two parties. Now, Republicans who think they understand their history, you know, MAGA trolls will talk about how the Democratic Party does have a racist history. And it's like, yes, but they love to ignore the fact that in the 60s, the two parties slipped their ideologies. That being said, it starts to come into around Reagan's time where where the uh, the, the where sexuality and sex and things becomes part of this because of the rise of the moral majority of the 70s mm-hmm. around not necessarily gay issues, but of course, around abortion. And, you know, we should get through the 80s with Reagan ignoring the AIDS crisis for so long and into the early 90s with issues like uh, Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And so, so yeah, it, it, it did. It, it started. It bubbled up a lot over Reagan and it's kind of evolved since then. Um, but it is a major, major civil rights issue. And I guess the last question is, like, I see people who like really are, forgive me, I'm assuming just really are proponents of free expression. And the First Amendment and, you know, would not curtail somebody's right to, like, parent their own child. I mean, extreme things aside, um, you know, I'm I'm not exactly going to give my kid mind comp, but <laughs> but, you know, but I mean, how do we how do you come? How do we combat this? Because the, the, the problem with the, the, the issue is that um, a lot of these moms for liberty types seem to think they win the argument by being the loudest and always having the last word. That's how trolls operate, right? So how does how do you not make this the first step toward Gilead, right? I mean, how do how do we how do we uh, how do we how do we fix this? I think we've already we're stepping towards <laughs> Gilead as we speak. To be honest, <laughs> uh, yeah. How do we fix? We can't back down. We can't back down. I think it's definitely a a pyrrhic sort of war where there will be losses mm-hmm. on either sides um in order to yeah well i feel like you know the greatest loss that we are we are currently experiencing is you know that we do have these banned books and that are i think our kids you know our kids that are within um different uh, a different uh gender spectrum or sexuality spectrum are also under attack and not being believed when they say i am yes. blank so that I mean, those are the biggest losses. Um, but I think we we just have to keep going. And it's so frustrating because it just feels like we're not being listened to. And. My gosh, if you take what we're talking about now and think about what else is going on in the country, I just want to scream priorities because no one is dying from these <laughs> books you know what i'm saying um they might actually be dying because you are censoring them because again um the the queer population has a high mortality rate but yeah i mean there are more issues that we need to do but i think yeah my my greatest my number one is we just can't back down we keep need we keep 
we must keep coming to the table and having discussions, even if we're not being listened to, because I think any sort of silence, any sort of um, stepping back when we're being pushed is is a recipe for losing the whole battle or just um, assenting silently. And that's just not what we want. So, yeah, we just oh, it, I mean, it's so scary. It's so scary. I think mm, just need to have conversations for sure. And then as parents, just going back to what I had said before, be willing to engage with the material. Don't listen to what someone else is telling you. If you feel like this is too, this is age inappropriate for your child, then great. But then at a later date, you know, have that open and tell them like, hey, maybe not now, but maybe in a couple years and read with them. I think that's such a beautiful Mm -hmm. thing is to read, you know, to read the hate you give potentially with your child and have discussions about what does this mean in real life, um, whether that child has black friends in their class or not and um, yeah because I think when we're not engaging in these topics and we are not allowing these books to exist or be read we are painting a false reality and this is it's just not the world that we live in yeah I agree and you know the culture culture wars as they're often called in the media um, they're always a wedge issue right they're always because they're Mm -hmm. there because they do attract the one to two issue voter um, if it's not this, it's abortion. It's abortion, yeah, abortion economy. Um, and these are important things as it is. They also are used as distractions from some of the things that do directly affect you that are more that are just dry. Right. Um, you know, or or they or they try to they, they're used to deflect and distract from things that actually are really important and are not dry, like gun control. Um, or like, but economic issues and things like that. Like, you know, how do we solve inflation and, and having that conversation, which is a a really important conversation to have, but does not have the draw of something concerning sex, right? Like, you know, and stuff like that. Um, from a political standpoint, I think that there's a lot of self-educating people need to do. There's, there's educating Mm -hmm. yourself as a bias in media, um, in knowing what the what your cover what the coverage that you're getting is and, and seeking out like wh- where do you need clarification on things um, writing to your representative you know engaging your representatives whether they be in Congress but also and this is something that Republic the Republican Party has been good at since the Reagan era and real and the Democratic Party or Democrats progressives etc need to get better at Republicans know how to play the long game in politics. This has been going on for 40 or 50 years. This was kind of the plan. And they, they can be very patient because they know how to get make inroads. And it, it, it goes through local elections. Mm-hmm. What you need to do if you're trying to combat this is know that you are going to be there for a long time. This is not going to go away with one win. And you have to, if you can't run for school board, you have to advocate for a school board candidate who you, uh, who is kind of on your side, so to speak. You have to vote in the local elections. That's yeah. the biggest, yep. one of the biggest problems 
So you've got to pay. I mean, because local elections don't have the sexiness of the presidential, right? The presidentials are four years mm-hmm. and the midterms are over two. For us, local elections tend to be this year. It tends to be year three of the term for the president. For in Virginia, it goes president. Like if it's 2020, it's president. 2021 was governor. 2022 is the midterm, but 2023 is all local elections. It's the sheriff. It's the school board. It's the county legislators and things like that. State elections, uh, state senators, state delegates. Those are more important in so many ways than some of the more national ones, because those are the ones that as a citizen that you actually directly affect. Right. I can cast my I can cast my vote for Joe Biden in 2024 and it goes toward his total. But you know how the Electoral College works. It's it's a drop in a very large sea. In the Charlottesville area, voting for my school board member because the school board member covers a specific area. So I can't vote for somebody who is in another part of the district several miles away. That's a, maybe a few hundred, a couple thousand people. My vote actually does matter. And this, that's that I think is like really, really important. Just become politically active in that way. And also read the books. Like yeah. look at the yeah. look at the top for ten sure. banded challenge book and check one out of the library and just see what is up with this. Some of them are good and mm-hmm. some of them are just not good. You know? Yeah. Um sometimes the authors are problem problematic, like Sherman Alexi. But right, but yeah. sometimes you but like it, it, if you hear this and see this, it's like it's kind of like with Catcher. It's like, what's the big deal about this book? Well, read it and find out. You don't have to like it. But have that conversation with it. You know, your your mm-hmm. education on literature didn't stop when you left high school. <laughs> yeah. Did it get on my English teacher soapbox? So, yeah. All right. Well, I and if you have an opinion on this please reach out an email where I'm going to, we're going to skip feedback for this episode. Did we have some? I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, but we will love feedback on this particular uh, discussion. Um, we've, you know, it's, it's, we, we rarely get this political on the show. Uh, we, we, you know, we have our opinions on things that usually are in context of a work of literature. Right. But, but we rarely get this general. So if you have a, 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 a an opinion that agrees with us, an opinion that goes against us, you know, uh, we'll, we'll definitely put it in a future episode and talk about it. Yeah. And I don't know that you, do you feel like you can separate this issue from the politics? I don't think you can because, because of the yeah. way it has become embedded in, it's been used to, it's been used to run for elections. So I, I think it's been coupled deliberately yeah. by the people who were calling for the bans. So I don't think you can decouple it from politics. Yeah. And as an addendum to the educate yourself, uh, I want to be clear because I'm sure there's someone that's saying I am. I'm reading all about it. And they're only reading their own viewpoints (laughs) from other people. You do need to read other people's viewpoints in order to fully uh, to draw a full picture. I'd also say it's okay to be uncomfortable. We have to be okay with one hundred percent. I love being uncomfortable. Yes, that's the only. That's like the best way to grow and empathy. Yes. Also, yes. so I mean, yeah. All right. So as we come to the end of this, we have. I have one more question for you because we have another episode coming up. So, what are we reading for episode eighty-one? 
yes. I've (laughs) been going back and forth on this because I have to read a lot for this YA class. But I feel like this would be, I mean, it's so topical with what we, I almost want to say genderqueer, but this is so topical with what we were just talking about. And it takes place in the summer. And like we can get into some, some controversial discussions about it. Um, and of course we're recording right now in June, which is pride month. So, you know, there's always that, but, uh, when you think of peaches, you may think of our mutual friend, Donovan Morgan Grant, or you may think of this novel, call me by your name by Andre Ossiman, I think is his uh, last name there. That was made into a very well-regarded film with Timothy Chalamet, right? Am I thinking of that? Correct. That kind of put that kid on the map. Kid, he's in his 20s. That put him on the map. Yes. So, all right. So I will. I would uh, say so, yeah. Call me by your name. Call me, yes. That's correct. Okay. Cool. Well, until then, like I said, feedback, feedback, feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Um, And as always, thank you very much for listening and take care. And do not go silently into the night. Rage. Rage against the dying of the lights. <laughs> Good night. Good night. Thanks for listening to Required Reading with Tom and Stella, which is brought to you by two... That's two true. If you're interested in learning more about the books we've read or want to comment on the episode, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash requiredreading with Tom and Stella. If you would like to email us to comment on the episode or continue our discussion, you can reach us at requiredreadingcast at gmail.com. We will read every email we get on future episodes. We're looking for more visibility, so if you liked this episode or the show in general, why not leave us a review on iTunes? Thanks again for listening and come back next month for our next episode.